everyone. Welcome to Eclipse, a Heroes podcast. I'm Keisha. And I'm Rachel. And today we are going to discuss episode eight, seven minutes to midnight. Tick tock. Tick tock. Tick tock. Tick 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 tick. Do we have any new business before we get into the episode? Uh, we don't have any old or new business. I'm just excited that a certain person is joining the cast this week, and you know that. You know that I'm barely containable about it. <laughs> pretty pretty openly excited about that. Yes, and, and we'll get into him in a few minutes here, but first we gotta talk about Matt Parkman. What's Matt up to? So if you remember in the last episode, Matt found out exactly who his wife was having an affair with, <gasps> and that was his old partner, Tom. Bastard. And he punched the shit out of him. Yeah, he did. <laughs> So we come into this episode with Audrey having heard about Matt punching another officer, and she is pissed off. She's like, you can't get suspended right now. We need you on this. Yada, yada. And he's like, don't worry about it. It's fine. You know, it's fine. And she even asked Matt if he deserved it, and he's like, yeah, he did. (laughs) (laughs) So they're on a timeline right now because they only have an hour with Ted before they're going to come and haul him off for being a terrorist. So they are on the clock. Tick, 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 tick. And uh, Ted's upset because they wouldn't let him go to his wife's funeral, which is understandable. And before they go in to talk to Ted, they're both wearing these little radiation detectors that, like, if it gets too high, it'll turn, like, not green. And uh, as Ted is freaking out about not being able to go to the funeral and, like, is getting angry at Matt and Audrey, their little radiation things turn bright red. And we see him, like, threaten to blow up the place, so he grabs his glass of water and makes it boil. Which, if you remember, that was a painting that uh, Isaac destroyed in one of the very first episodes. So again, Isaac is painting the future. It's all happening. It's happening. But Matt is able to reach into his empathy and talk him down. Like, you're not the only one this is happening to, Ted. It's happening to me. I'm hearing things. You know, I was able to hear your dying wife's thoughts, etc. And that gets Ted to relax. And they're able to have a conversation with him. So Matt wants to know, when did this start happening to Ted? And well, Ted lets him know that like, this just started happening, like after I blacked out one day. And this freaks Matt out as well, because his stuff also intensified after that one blackout he had. And uh, Matt's like, were you drinking? Did you have bruises on your arms when you woke up? Ted's like, I didn't have bruises, but I had this. And he shows Matt the mark on his neck. And Matt's like, oh, fuck, because he he also has the mark on his (laughs) neck. And they both show Audrey. So, uh, Ted gets into his little, his story, and he was a medical supply salesman who was on business in Kansas City. He went to a bar to celebrate this big sale and was going through the people that were also at the bar, and he mentions that there was a student from Haiti. And then the next thing he knows, he's in Tempe, Arizona, without any memory of what happened. So Matt's like, what did this Haitian look like? (laughs) Was it this big guy? (laughs) So uh, it appears that the Haitian also got Ted. When uh, Ted got released, he started to recount how his powers would go wrong. He would buy flowers for his wife and they'd start to wilt. And then his wife had radiation poisoning, which is why she was dying. And uh, Audrey gets kind of like, you know, pissed at him a little bit. And she's like, you know, are there any other bodies we should know about Ted? Because he did kill the doctor. And uh, Matt comes to his defense like, you know, he's, he's trying to control it. He's doing his best here. And as they're starting to come to these conclusions about how Matt and uh, Ted are having a similar experience. The uh, rest of the FBI rushes in and they take Ted like, your hour's up. He's going to go get hauled off. Where's the, you know, where's the radioactive material, Ted? Where is it? (laughs) 
where these bombs are making Ted. The head of the FBI also looks at Matt and's like, he shouldn't be here. He's been suspended, which he conveniently kept secret from Audrey. Oops. Whoops a days. I was suspended <laughs> for punching that officer. And we leave the FBI off there and instead get to go to our favorite, Matt's home life, where we... Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Where we see Janice is like sitting in their bedroom looking at old photos of her and Matt. And uh, Matt comes home and she knows that Matt punched Tom. And she is thinking, like, oh God, he does know. And um, Matt ended up getting a one month suspension with no pay. And Janice then admits to the affair, which is, it's a weird timing for her to admit to the affair if she, you know. Yeah, after everything. Yeah, after everything. Now is the time. And Matt asks if it's over. And she, she's like, yeah, it's done, it's done. Which, you know, how much are you going to trust that? <laughs> and she asks if they are over as a couple, and he says he does not know. And as they're dwelling in that uh, dramatic moment, Matt gets a call from Audrey, because Ted has escaped. And we see this chaos happening behind her of blown up cars, so clearly he had a little, you know meltdown and was able to free himself so that's where we leave off with matt parkman and ted and do you have anything to add to good old matt parkman's story in this episode uh not too terribly much i just i like the continuing friendship between him and audrey and the continuing partnership uh i also really enjoy their little moment where matt and ted get to talk about their shared experiences and the the building of the mysteries around the Haitian and what may or may not be happening to people. Because at the time it was very, I remember the, the discourse was very, oh, they're taking regular people and experimenting on them. Mm, yes. <laughs> that was a big theory back in the day, especially with Matt and Ted's storylines. But we also saw with uh, Matt that he was hearing things before he was taken. Mm-hmm. So. So then it became a thing of... Are they making these powers stronger? Mm -hmm. They might be. They might be. We might find a little more information on that later in the episode. <laughs> we sure might. <laughs> uh, lucky for us. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, that's really, that's really all I, I would add to any of that storyline. Uh, I always felt bad for Ted. I think I've said this before, but I always felt bad for Ted. He's such a tragic character on the show. 100%. He and Isaac could compete for that. Yes. You see Isaac a little more than Ted. Well, you do, but it's just, you know, what where they both end yes. up. Yes. Yes. So. But that's spoilers. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Not that. Uh, but there is one person who has an idea where uh, Isaac ends up, and that is Hiro Nakamura. Mm -hmm. So why don't you tell us what happened to Hero this episode? Cool. So we get to go to a location that is very important to the lore of heroes, and that is the Burnt Toast Diner in Texas. You're going to see this place pop up a lot, uh, not just in season one. It's a really important place. So Hero and Ando are just straight chilling in Texas right now, just ordering diner food, kind of waiting. They're kind of in standby. They don't really know what exactly is going to happen next, when they need to be prepared to save the cheerleader, or when he's going to meet Peter. But he knows it's soon, so they're just waiting right now until they get some more info, some sort of sign. Uh, <laughs> they're just they're just having like a nice little casual conversation. Ando's complaining about the food in America and that it's making him fat. <laughs> <laughs> and Hero says you don't need to eat all the French fries, which is true. <laughs> 
You don't have to order them. You don't have to eat them. So, yeah, they're just having, like, their nice little moment where they get to just kind of catch up and not be entirely involved in drama, which is a nice change of pace for them. Uh, At the Burnt Toast Diner, we meet a waitress named Charlie. This cute red-haired waitress who immediately takes center stage in the episode when she is going around and, you know, checking on people, and she has this great moment where she interacts with a couple of cops that are in the diner, and they're, one of them's doing a crossword, and she is just immediately ready to just bust out all of this knowledge to help him with the crossword, and it's become, like, a bit of a thing where uh, you can ask Charlie random things, and she might just know it, because... She's got a really, really good brain. She just seems to be remembering everything lately, as she puts it. Uh, One of the little uh, deputy guys, he tries to quiz her stuff randomly. And I love when the the sheriff is just like, she's not Google, Lloyd. (laughs) Calm down. But yeah, she's, she's just peppy and perky and so sweet. And she ends up helping Hiro and Ando. And her and Hiro have immediate chemistry, which is just lovely. Uh, There's this really great moment where she is practicing Japanese with him later on. And they just they just have such a sweet, sweet moment uh, for all the moments that they are allowed to have together. The show doesn't do traditional relationshipy things very well. It's just not something Heroes has never been very good at. Uh, But Hiro and Charlie, they were it, man. They were great. So, yeah, there's there's just a little great moment where she's just in the diner, just living life, just helping people. It's a nice little slice of life moment for the show. And <laughs> and it's so funny because when they order food again from Charlie, she gets <laughs> she gets onto a cottage cheese plate because Hero says he needs food for fat to fat to, which is amazing. <laughs> I love Ando's little scowl when he does that. <laughs> So she gets a cottage cheese plate and she gets Hero Chilaquiles. You're going to hear Chilaquiles pop up more than once, oh, too. Yeah. <laughs> uh, the most random egg dish ever. It becomes like, there's, I, I would say, a pantheon of heroes related food items, and that's one of them. Yes. You'll know why uh, later on, but it does show up for the first time in season one. Uh, and this episode was written by Tim Kring, and I have to wonder if the other one was, too. Ooh, I need to look, have down. To look that up. It might be, because it was, like, the finale. It sure was, and he often does those. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, so, season two stuff, guys. So, she, you know, goes off to get the food, and who do we see in the corner but a tall, dark stranger in the shadows with a cup of coffee and a newspaper in a black baseball hat and a black coat. That looks awful familiar, doesn't it? You're right. It does. It looks a lot like, hmm, looks a lot like the guy that Matt and Audrey encountered in the FBI building. Yeah, that's who it looks like. And that's because that's who it is. Everybody, we finally have a Siler. It's not a stunt guy. We have Zachary Quinto on the show. This is his first episode. Clap, clap, clap. I'm very excited. <laughs> Anybody who knows me or Rachel knows that Siler is the shit. <laughs> um, Zachary Quinto makes the show in so many ways for a lot of people. He contributes an incredibly iconic performance to the whole affair. 
and the show completely changes as soon as he pops up. But right now, he's just a guest star, and he's just chilling in the shadows, telekinetically sipping coffee, and <laughs> being a big old looming threat uh, with his with his watch that they make up. That's the best thing is they you know, like, oh, who's this guy? And then like, oh, Siler watch. Um, so we don't know why Siler watch yet, but we will. Don't worry, that's gonna be a thing too. That's gonna be such a thing. So he's there. He's in the diner. He is straight up bird dogging Hiro Ando and this waitress. And we don't quite know who he's going after yet, but danger is here in the diner. So things proceed in this storyline where every time we go back to them, uh, Charlie and Hiro have these really great moments. Like I said, they they practice Japanese together, and Hiro's really impressed. Her, her Japanese is, is great. It's picking up really fast, strangely fast. And she's like, yeah, I got a Japanese phrase book six months ago for my birthday. Yeah, see, six months ago shows up again because it's like a really important span of time for the show. And yeah, she's just, she can just pick up stuff real fast. And it turns out, as we'll find out later, uh, that is her power. It's called an eidetic memory. She can remember just about anything that she looks at, which is a cool power. It's not one that, you know, you, you can't, like, win a fight with that. You can't blast somebody with eidetic memory. But it's a really cool resource to have. And it becomes very clear later on why someone like Siler would want it. So she's just going about her business, having, you know, her, her normal day, just at work, having no idea what's about to happen. And we keep getting glimpses of the man in the shadows just silently watching. Until one minute, we see the camera goes and shows him, and then the perspective switches so that the camera looks like it's watching now. Like, it's moving in a way like a head would move if eyes are watching something in the distance. And he's watching Hero go and leave the table and Charlie walk away to go in the back. And then the next time we go over to the to the table and chair, he's gone, obviously. Because even though Charlie is sweet and great and would have been a cool character to watch develop her power and go through this journey, that's not so much her story. Her story is she goes to the back to open a can of peaches and she gets her head sliced open. And Siler kills her for her power. And it's an interesting moment because so far his attacks we've just seen the aftermath of. This is the first time we're really getting a chance in a tight close-up in a really cool juxtaposition between her using an industrial can opener and him slicing her head open. We get to see how he operates to a point. And it's sad. We are meant to like Charlie from the start, and we do. And her and Hero have amazing chemistry, and then boom, she's gone. And so it's immediately continuing to set up like, okay, we have an actor cast of this guy now, but this is still our villain. This is still our bad guy. He's going to kill people that you like, and you need to be ready for that. It's not just going to be randos that you don't know that they're going to come upon the crime scene of. Shit's getting real, basically. And so Hero comes back out. And there's a scream and they find the body and the cops are still there. And they try to question, um, is it Hero and Ando or just Ando at that point? Because Hero's gone. Uh, Ando does most of the talking due to the whole English limitation. I thought so. Okay. So the cops, they talk to him 
uh, talk to them, and they are like, hey, you know, we don't know you. This is a small town. You guys are new. I need to see what's up with you because she's a sweet girl, and we need to suspect anybody who we don't know and who's just hanging around and was just seen speaking with her randomly. So they try to talk to Hironondo about it and, you know, kind of interrogate him, kind of not, because you can tell, like, they do need to see what's up with all, you know, with their presence here all of a sudden on this day. But it's not, like, anything that intense. Anyway, so Hiro decides that, unlike with the poker players, he's going to use his power and he's going to save Charlie, which is the name of a book, Mm -hmm. Saving Charlie. You can find it. uh, It's not in print, per se, anymore, but you can find them used online and, and the like. I believe it's an... Is it an ebook? I don't know if it's an ebook. I don't remember if it's an ebook or not. It might be. But... Yeah, I don't think it. I don't think it was. I think I was gonna get it if it was. Uh, but yeah, you can find it. It's real cheap online. Uh, it came out. It was a tie-in book with the show, and it follows what Hero is about to do, which he is going to go and stop Siler from killing Charlie. But he goes back a little too far. And there was a photograph we saw earlier on that was Charlie at the birthday party that she talked about getting the Japanese book from. And at first it was just Charlie, and now it's it's the classic time travel thing. So Ando's just like, okay, this is taking a long time. Where the hell is he? Because he said he was going to pop out and save her and then be back. And he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting. And oh, shit, where's Hero? And then the camera tightens in and we see Hero in the photo now. He's six months ago. He's at Charlie's birthday. He went far. He went really far back. So even though Charlie is dead in this time, uh, we are going to get to see them again, which is really nice. And really sad. But yeah, that's pretty much what happens in the Burt Toast Diner. Um, yeah, he he knows that he needs to step up. It's a big hero moment for hero. Ha ha ha. Um, because he knows that the way Charlie died is the same way that Isaac dies in the future. So this is, this is a real threat that's happening here that he can try to do something about. And... It puts he and Siler on an interesting path throughout the rest of season one. But did you have anything you wanted to add to this? Uh, I think you you grabbed everything that I was going to add, which I was going to talk about the book a little bit. Which oh yeah, be... no, go for it a little bit more if you want. Well, I haven't read the book. I was going to say that probably would be a fun thing to try to sit and actually read the book. <laughs> yeah, I need to try to find it. Honestly, I'm sure we can order it off Amazon from like a used bookseller or even eBay. Because there are a few other heroes tie-in books. Like, I think the rest of them are all four Reborn. So this was the main one that went with the original series other than the comics. Yes. Uh, yeah. Do you, nothing else to add to that? Uh, thoughts on Charlie as a character and how much she's great and how much it's sad that she dies, but also, like, you know, gotta break some eggs to make an omelet. In spite of the fact that we don't get much Charlie, like, they, Hero and Charlie are the iconic pairing of the series. Yeah, yeah. Because because the only other uh, grouping of characters in season one, at least, who have that much chemistry end up being related. <laughs> Spoilers! <laughs> but, uh... They don't know who I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, they get Luke and Leia, pretty much. Um, oh, boy, do they. Uh, yeah, they're the iconic relationship pairing, because as we've seen from other relationships so far, they aren't that, you know, great. Yeah. We've got Simone, who's having her relationship issues with Isaac and Peter. And we've got Mm -hmm. uh, Audrey, not Audrey, (laughs) Janice and uh, Matt. (laughs) (laughs) 
Janice and Matt who are having their uh, marriage problems. We have um, mm-hmm. HRG and Sandra, but we haven't. We've seen a little bit of their relationship, and they they're fine at the moment. Um, uh, I guess they're like the other iconic one, at least at first. Yes, we've got uh, Eden and Mohinder. Yep. Uh, who else is in season one? Well, like Nathan and Heidi. Nathan and mm-hmm. Heidi. Yeah, that's true. And we we they aren't exactly having a great marriage. He's off uh, fucking Nikki. Yeah, you know they've got they've got their very like political family marriage. Yes. You know, like it works for them for now, but yeah. Nikki and DL. Speaking of Nikki. Nikki, Nikki and DL. They evolve yeah. as season one goes on. Yeah. So like in season one, Hero and Charlie are really like just the best in terms of, yeah, they, they're not really together very long, but they have the, the sweetest, most well adjusted. Yeah. Compared to everyone else. <laughs> in fact, this relationship is so iconic to fans of the show it causes controversy in season two with heroes actions there it sure does and um that'll be something we'll talk about then but yeah it's, it becomes quite controversial <laughs> um yeah and, and also charlie is played by Jamma Mays. yes who is great who's who's gonna go on to be on glee and such mm-hmm. so yeah another fun fun person that a lot of people might not know was on heroes uh yeah so gotta try to save charlie that's the whole nexus of what's going on in that part of texas but what's going on elsewhere in the state with mr bennett and isaac and eden so if you remember thinking back to a couple episodes ago isaac left his loft and it was completely cleaned out and we remember that eden came to see isaac and as we said before isaac who has his address just written on the back of a comic book is very easy to find and he was brought in on the order of mr bennett so we see isaac waking up in bed in a bit of a sweat and Eden is tending to him. He's had a rough couple days because he has been coming down from his heroin addiction. So he's going through withdrawals. And Eden is being very nice to him there. She says she's going to teach him how to paint without the drugs. That, that you know, you can do this. You're not, the drugs don't make you what you are. And she tells him that she went through a similar thing, which is mysterious. And I believe we find out more later. While she's talking to him, we see his paintings are all there. And we see all of the usual ones, the like, once he painted of Claire. And then we also see a picture of a very familiar waitress. So he has painted Charlie. Which, that's the segue in, in narrative order. Yes, that is the segue to the Burnt Toast Diner. Yeah. So we leave them, and then we get a lovely exterior shot of the <laughs> Primatech Paper Company. And who should Ooh. pull up to the Primatech Paper Company? But HRG. Hey. Who parks his car and goes inside. Goes down a car elevator, says hello to security guy. I believe he runs into the woman who pretended to be Claire's mother. Does he? I believe he? it's that one blonde that he runs into in the hallway. Oh, man. I bet it is. I, I don't remember that, but I, I believe you. Because I, I remember, like, at the time, people were like, oh, my God, it's her. Like, a screenshot of the actress. I think you're right. Yeah. So I, And, you know, again, pointing out that, you know, that wasn't really Claire's mom that happened to come meet Claire that one day. Mm-hmm. And he goes down the elevator and we see this big empty warehouse and this little this little structure both inside and inside that little structure is where Isaac and his paintings both are. He asks Eden if he's ready to meet him and she's like, he's clean, you can come on in. And we get to see HRG go in and meet Isaac. And this is markedly different from him meeting most of the other... <laughs> um special people he's doing good cop yes he's not he doesn't have him strapped onto a table in a blue room being creepy he he's going in because 
he has something that he needs from Isaac. And so he goes in and he's like, Isaac, don't let anyone tell you that you seeing the future is not a blessing. Like, this is a gift. You're special. And he gets right into business saying, like, I need your help. He goes around to all the paintings and he points to the blonde cheerleader and he says, that is my daughter. And she is going to die tomorrow unless you can help us. And he even says... This man, this dark man that is in these paintings, this is Siler, and he is a bad man. And he's like, I believe the first one to point out who specifically in the paintings, who it is. Oh, he knows. Yeah. And at first I was like, oh, how does he know about Siler? And then I'm like, duh, they cleaned out his apartment. Mm-hmm. If you remember back when uh, Mohinder and Eden went to Siler's place and then Mohinder goes back with the police and it's completely empty because Eden mm-hmm. is a company girl and had company the co- girl had the apartment cleaned out. Mm-hmm. So HRG knows all about Siler and pretty easily put together the connection that this man this painting is Siler and he is the one that is going to go and attempt to kill Claire. Well, Isaac is like, I wish I could, but I cannot paint without the drugs. Because he has been trying to paint the future without the drugs for a little bit now. And he just can't do it. And so HRG just lays a nice little package out in front of him of heroin. Yep. And he pleads with him again, (laughs) like, you know, 14 years ago we had a... This woman we tracked down who died, and she had a baby, and that baby was Claire. And she came into my life in a moment when we were having trouble conceiving, and, like, she means everything to me. So I need you to try to help me save her. And Isaac's like, let me try it one more time without the heroin. So we go forward a little bit in time, and we see um, HRG upstairs at the paper company, when who should come in but Claire? And she's like, oh, I just came to see you at work. And he's like, you never visit me at work. <laughs> and she's like, okay, I have a paper emergency. I need to make this banner to hang over the trophy case. And Jackie's all like, they don't make paper that big. And I'm like, yeah, they do. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it's, this, it's this cute little moment with HRG and Claire. I love that bit so much. <laughs> Jackie's like, they make paper. <laughs> Yeah, make paper that big. She's like, yeah. dude, my dad works at a paper company. I'm sure <laughs> they have paper that big. And while Claire is telling her father about her homecoming emergency, Eden comes from upstairs. And Eden and Claire kind of look at each other for a moment. And she's like, I'm sorry to interrupt, but there's an emergency. So HRG tells Claire, you know what? Uh, go take something from the sample room. I'm sure we have a paper big enough to shut Jackie up. <laughs> <laughs> and knock her down a yeah, peg. Yeah, knock her down a peg. He shoes Claire away and he goes with Eden. And Eden says, Isaac can't do it. He can't paint without the heroin. And he tells her that she's going to make him take the heroin. And Eden just gets very upset by this. She's like, you promised me I wouldn't have to do it anymore. And he's like, Eden, you are the easy way. And there is a harder way to do this, which I'm sure would have been him going down and injecting him himself. <laughs> He would have held him down yep. and stuck that needle in so fast. Oh, yes. Like, you are, you are the nice way, Eden. I am the hard way. <laughs> and he also reminds Eden of what she was before they found her, which, again, we will see later. And so we see Eden get a little downtrodden, and she goes and does it. We see her whisper in Isaac's ear, and he reaches for the heroin. And So we don't know, like, what exactly her power is yet, but between that and I think a little bit with Mohinder... Mm-hmm. You can get an idea of what it might be. I think we get it We get it spelled out explicitly later, so I won't mention it, but her power has to do with getting people to do things. Yep. And we go down and we see Isaac painting. His eyes are white and he's painting the future. And I believe Eden is watching him paint. And at the end of the episode, instead, we go to um, HRG at home, sort of anxiously watching Claire as she makes this homecoming banner, which we have seen very bloody in Isaac's paintings before. And... 
she's just having a like great time just blissfully unaware <laughs> of her fate that is coming for her dun, dun, dun. and while he is quietly panicking hoping that <laughs> isaac is going to be able to point them in the right direction because that's the thing isn't it like after all this he might not even paint something that seems relevant and he's done that before mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You, he can't really um control his power yet he's nope. a lot like hero where it's like you know you can he can hit somewhere near it but you don't know yeah exactly like a lot of our characters yeah everyone's kind of coming to grips with their abilities and their limits and trying to refine mm-hmm. them but they're on the clock they have <laughs> their homecoming is tomorrow they don't have like a month to work with isaac tick 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 the salary's coming Oh, he's a company. He's there. He's, he's in, in Texas. Texas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Yes, ma'am. He's on the path. I just as I was watching, I was um it was so interesting to me that he's like, Yeah, no, this is Siler. This guy right here, that's Siler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> mm-hmm. Which See, it's so funny because, like, watch me do my little like Wonder Woman spin into spoiler land. Spin, 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 spin. Uh when we see the retcon stuff in season three, we know exactly why he knows that. I'm sitting here trying to remember. The stuff with Elle. Oh, yes. <laughs> oh, my God. We've been keeping God. an eye on that bastard for a minute. Oh, my yep. God. Yes. Okay. But as far as seasons one is concerned, it can just As far be... as season one, it's isolated. Yeah. And it's, yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I was like, oh, that's funny now. You know? Yes. Um. <laughs> It's such a joy to rewatch and then be like, I forgot about season one. <laughs> and as I'm watching season one, forgetting things from later seasons. Oh my God. Yeah, right? There's so much shit that's coming that I'm just like, I don't remember any of this. Um, yeah, I I love this little bit so much. It's an amazing display of the depth of Mr. Bennett's character. Uh, I love watching how different he is with each person with abilities that he comes across. Yes. He is very, very tactful and very clever in knowing how best to approach them. I I love when he's like just trying to really do the emotional appeal to to Isaac. And it's not a put on. He is scared. He's scared. If he knows this man is Siler, he knows what he's capable of. And so it's it's cool seeing that, and then it's cool immediately seeing how he deals with Eden. Kind of a dick. Uh, <laughs> Bennett has a long and storied history of dealing with people with powers, and he's not always that cool around them. And then it's also fun where it's like, well, why is Eden so willing to follow the orders of this random normal guy? She can do something cool. Why doesn't she just do something cool? And you get the idea later on of the structure of the company and how good they are at getting people to fall into line, even if they have incredible powers. I, I always I always like this pit. It's a cool bit. Yeah, and it's the first bit where we get, like, the name of the company. Yeah, we get to see the front. We get to see uh, a little bit of, of all of that. Yeah, it's it's great. I love it. I had forgotten... That we literally see Bennett walk through the entire thing and go down to the lower levels and all that where the real thing is going down. Yes. Like, We've got the front and then the, the real thing. And I'm pretty sure everyone on both levels know what's going on. They have to. 
They have to have some idea. Yes. They think they work for some gov- like government agency, probably. Like, yes. Lots of NDAs, but like, yeah, it's uh, it's cool. And uh, I was I was flipping back through while you were speaking about the episode. Mm-hmm. That is uh, Claire's fake. Yes. Mom. Good. Yeah, that's her. Yes, because I remember this, that being pointed out at like a later time, and I think she and the I think you get a better picture of the the fake father. You sure do. He goes up uh, later in another episode. Yeah, Hank plays a big role. Why do I remember this random guy's name? Oh, I have my reasons. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, yeah, I wonder. <laughs> yep, I wonder. No, I wonder <laughs> who it has to do with. Yeah. Well, golly. Oh, well, golly. Tick, tick. Um, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, get used to this <laughs> version of the podcast. Oh, no, it's begun. Ah, welcome to the Siler Show, everybody. My name is Keisha. And I'm Rachel. <laughs> and no one can stop me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Much like our boy. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of the Siler um, Hour. Uh... <laughs> Yeah. Um, Siler did a bad thing, and that's why Mohinder's back in India. So why don't you tell us about <laughs> Mohinder Keisha? It's a good, it's true. It's true. It's so true. <clears throat> so, <laughs> uh, Mohinder has a lot to do this episode. Mohinder decides, fuck this, I'm out, and he actually does go back to India. He is seen on the beach scattering Chandra's ashes. And <laughs> the Mohinder log in the episode is so about him trying to run away from all this. But haha, it's too late, bud. Like, you're, you're in it whether you want to be or not. Uh, it's going to pull you back in. So right now, though, Mohinder is like, nope, I'm done. I'm throwing the chessboard. It's, it's done. I'm going back to India. I don't know why the hell I went to America in the first place. I don't know what I was trying to prove, what I was trying to do. So... He thinks he's going to stay there, and oh, there's also a girl. Uh, we meet Mira. Mira, who is clearly Mohinder's ex-something or other. And they have a conversation uh, later on, which is uh, pretty interesting. But first, we have Mohinder speaking with Narad, who we've seen him speak to before in the very first episode. He talks about how, hey, Mohinder, I didn't cancel any of your classes. Uh, semester starting. You can just slide back in to your teaching job at the university. Which, what privilege, cough, cough, class war, uh, to be able to just do that. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, oh, you love me. Um, so, <laughs> so yeah, anyway, uh, Nirad's like, hey, your job is waiting for you. Your, your life is waiting for you. Forget all that bullshit in America. That was just a bad decision. You're home now. You, you can just you can just pick up where you left off. And so that's the plan. He's going to go back to teaching He's going to uh, empty out Chandra's office and use that. But it's not quite that easy to do. It's hard to forge a new path when you're just surrounded with the artifacts of your father's past. Like, he picks up the book, Activating Evolution. Uh, There's a program that seems to be running on the computer that he stumbles onto. And he's like, the hell is this? And it's great because it, it has this whole, like, uh, not-so-subtle symbolism where he tries to exit the program and it's like, are you sure you want to quit? Yes or no? <laughs> and then he just leaves that pop-up there throughout the episode because that's the question, isn't it? Are you sure you want to quit? It's the same program that was uh, on the laptop. Back it in sure the- was. And so he's like, oh, 
Oh my. So I, I love that little pop up just kind of haunting him. Like, you sure about this, bro? Like, is that what you want to do? <laughs> so anyway, uh, the girl we saw at the um, the ceremony, she comes in and yeah, her name's Mira. Her and Mohinder were a something something because we hear the word pillow talk bandied about. <laughs> Um, she comes to apologize to him, but she also has her doubts that he can just let this all go and go back to normal. What she wants Mohinder to do is she doesn't want him to go back to the university. She thinks that's got too many of Chandra's skeletons in the closet. And I agree. If he's going to try to start over, he can't do it there. Uh, she wants him to come and work with her. She does genetic research so i mean it's not like mohinder would be able to be completely free of all of this (laughs) like it's just leaving one place for another and knowing what he knows now i mean that seed is in his head now he can't ever really fully abandon what might be happening i think and i know that the people in his life pretty much assume the same because we get a sense of uh more of a sense of mohinder as the people in his life knew him. And he seems stubborn, just like his dad. And so I think they all kind of know, like, nah, he's not going to really give this up. Like, he can say he's going to, but I don't believe him. So Mohinder's really struggling with this, actually. He's really, he's really struggling. Like, do I want to quit? Yes or no? And there's a scene where he is walking around and he comes upon an argument between himself and Chandra. Oh, he fell asleep. He's in a dream. (laughs) So dreamscape time. He sees a final argument between he and his father and they're just, they're going at it. You know, Chandra is like, I need to do this. I'm going to do this. Mohinder's like, you're selfish. This is a stupid thing. You are being ridiculous. All that fun stuff. And Chandra's like, no, the world needs to know about my findings. And Mohinder's just being a, a, a bit of a dick. He's like, do you know what doctors do in the United States? They drive taxi cabs. <laughs> and uh, Chandra just being like, oh, well, we'll see who'll be the fool, won't we? And they just, oh, man, they're just going at it in that classic, like, thing where uh, a father and a son are just too damn similar. And they're just clashing so during this moment he sees a young boy and with a soccer ball and it turns out later on that that young boy has an ability he's the one who's doing the dreamscape thing which is just like it's a really great just uh way for mohinder to work through his stuff it's a nice little like deus ex machina power i like when the show does powers like that where it's like we just need someone to get from a to b so this person's gonna have an ability that will help them get there (laughs) And for Mohinder, it's this whole, like, self-discovery journey, which is aided by dreamscape walking. And we also get a little bit of exposition and background in doing this, too. Because we get to see things like Chandra talking to his wife about doing this. And Mohinder didn't know that it was his mom who was like, hey, you should you should do this. Because you're going to do this. You're not going to drop it. So you should do it. So he has a conversation with his mother in which Mohinder finds out that he had a sister that he never knew about. Her name was Shanti, and she died when he was just two years old, so he never really knew her. And apparently Shanti was just the apple of Chandra's eye. She was everything. He was convinced that she was special. And as his mother sadly says, and she was. And so that brings an interesting layer to everything uh, when you see that there was a sister involved and it's like, Oh, well 
what happened? How did she die? These are questions that are going to be answered later, and they're going to help give a lot of motivation to Chandra doing what he did. So Mohinder gets another dreamscape trip in which he gets to see Chandra in the cab that he was driving when he lived in New York. And he gets to see him in the driver's seat as a pair of hands come from the back seat, grab his head, smash it against the glass several times, and then snap his neck. And lo and behold, those hands have that same watch that we had such a pointed close-up of in the Burnt Toast Diner. Yep, Siler murdered the shit out of Chandra Suresh. Dun-dun. And, dun-dun. And let's talk about that for a minute, because every other Siler crime so far... Siler crimes. Is, um, <laughs> sorry, I like that. I like that a lot. Um, every other Siler crime so far has been extraordinary. We've got the pinning of Molly's mom. We've got the freezing of Molly's dad. We've got uh, the head slicing of Charlie the waitress without even seeming to touch her. We've got the FBI agents that were uh, dealt with when he tried to take Molly. This was personal. He had his hands on Chandra. He didn't slice him. He didn't do anything extraordinary. He physically took that man's life. So this is different. And we're going to see why it was different soon enough. But outside of the dreamscape world, um, well, actually not outside, but Sanjog, that's the name of the kid with the power, Sanjog Iyer, he gives Mohinder the key that was in the journal that he couldn't figure out what it was for in New York. And later on, he finds out it's for dun, 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 a desk drawer. And so he opens the desk drawer and what the fuck does he find in it, Rachel? Cause I didn't write it in my notes. <laughs> he opens it and it is empty. That's right. And so he yanks the drawer out and fishes yeah. behind it and finds the file for mm-hmm. Sanjong. Mm-hmm. And that's when we find out that what he can do. And that would be dreamwalking dream walking and uh yeah does he has like a cool dreamscape power um so we get to see all this happen and it's like oh hell mohinder can't quit (laughs) not now not as much as he'd like to because now he's seen exactly what happened to his father and he knows a little bit more of what it was about and there's just so many things that are stacked against Mohinder walking away from this that he's not going to get to is, is basically that's Mohinder's like story, especially in season one. It's like you are the standard bearer of what your father left behind. It doesn't really matter what you want. This is your path. It's your fate. But, Mohinder. Yeah. <laughs> it's your fate. It is. And he and Siler are going to have a lot of interesting interactions in the future. Their paths are destined to intertwine, and it's pretty cool. It's 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 uh, it leads to some of the best interactions on the show. I, I love the two characters interacting because they're so different, and uh, and I can't wait to see it. But yeah, we have our answer now. Siler did indeed kill Chandra Suresh, and so now we have to see what Mahinder is gonna do about that, if anything. What do you think about Momo and in India? Mira cracked me up in this episode. Where she's like, I know we, like, I talked mad shit about your father, and that's probably why we weren't a thing anymore. (laughs) (laughs) 
but you should totally come work for my company. <laughs> yeah, right? You should totally come work for me, and we'll, we'll be a genetic research super couple. It'll be great. Yeah, you can, you can tell that Mohinder has had his ups and downs with his father. Oh my god! Believes gosh, him, yeah. and then he doesn't. And then he believes him again, and mm-hmm. then he doesn't. And this is all before the series <laughs> starts. <laughs> yep. And then, oh man, I, I'm so excited for all of this, like... Yeah, Siler being introduced, sure, but uh, properly. But just Mohinder's journey is going to get so real from this moment on. Yes. Like, he is our little doubting Thomas for right now, but he isn't going to be afforded that luxury very soon. No, he is not. He's like the outsider looking in with the keys to the castle. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> he's going to figure some stuff out that are, uh, well to be frank, that are going to lead to some people dying. <laughs> like, yeah. Poor Mohinder. Mohinder, what did you do? I mean, he was just trying to, you know, further the legacy of his father, and also he's got, you know, he's got that scientist mind himself, where if there's a problem or a theory that might have something to it, he can't let it go. Because he's going to find out that, yeah, this shit's real. <laughs> it's real, it's happening, they're everywhere. And it's going to completely wrap up his life. But, uh, yeah, I think that was pretty much everything that happened of note in Seven Minutes to Midnight. Because we're homecoming bound now. Dun dun. <laughs> uh, like, um, we didn't get any Petrellis this episode. No, we, we did not. We didn't get not any one. of the Sanders storyline in this Mm-mm. episode. Nope. Um, nope. So, yeah, those are, those are two fairly big characters in the series that were not in this episode. But that let, like, Mohinder shine in this episode and Isaac get a lot more time. Yeah. Because we haven't spent too much time before this with Mohinder. Um, not in such a significant way. Not on like, his own. He's been... Yeah, not on his own. He's been with other people or just in little snippets. This is, like, a full-on, like, let's learn more about Mohinder Suresh kind of thing. Yes. Which is good because um, it, it's definitely... Yeah, it's kind of overdue, you know? Everybody else we've learned more about. Uh, their their home life, their past, their reasons for being involved in all this. It's nice to have uh, more of a focus on Mohinder before shit gets real. Because <laughs> <laughs> let me tell you, like, we're still going to have cool backstories. We're still going to have great character moments. But from this moment on, once Homecoming hits, it's pretty much like, go, 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 go. To try to stop the explosion in New York eventually. If they can, question. If they can. so that about wraps it up for this week's episode of eclipse a heroes podcast uh we are we're just chugging right along we're we're almost at the homecoming episode the the thing they're talking about when they say save the cheerleader save the world well here's the first part of that if they can do it we will find out uh until then feel free to check us out on our social media accounts uh we have Twitter. We have an email you can get a hold of us on. Rachel, do you want to throw out the names of those for our lovely listeners? Sure. You can send us an email, eclipsedpod at gmail.com, or you can tweet at us. We are at Eclipsed Podcast. We have a Discord, which will be linked in the show notes. You can join us on. Uh, but yeah, thanks for listening. We will see you all next time and uh, just try to keep your. Try to keep the top of your head on, okay? (laughs) (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye. (laughs) Next time on Eclipsed, 
It's time for the Union Wells High Homecoming game. But what's this? An away player has entered the field to change everything? Can our heroes band together to save the cheerleaders so they can save the world? We'll find out. Tune in.